Matthew chapter 6. Are you there? Would you say amen? amen? I want you to look this way. It is 6.04. Let's see how fast I can preach this fast message. You going to time me? All righty. 6.04. Let's see what happens. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight and speak to our hearts, please, from the Bible, the word of God. I pray in Jesus' name. And help some precious soul in here tonight that is struggling. God, may this give them a little bit of hope, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been in church any amount of time, you have probably heard hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons. I've been at Woodland now for, this is, my, this is going on my 27th year, so I finished 26 years back in the, the start of this year. And uh, I did some figuring this week, and I'm not, I, I know this isn't accurate, but it is somewhere in the ballpark that in these 26 years of being here at Woodland, I have preached somewhere in the neighborhood of over 4,000 messages here. 4,000, think about that. 4,000 messages uh, here at this church. And I got one question for you, all right? Name one. Now, I'm not talking about this morning. But name one. Now, I don't want you to feel bad about that because it, it doesn't hurt my feelings because, to be honest with you, I can't hardly remember what I preached last week either. So that doesn't hurt my feelings, much less 26 years ago. But there have been some sermons that I've heard along my journey, uh, journey with the Lord, that have made a lasting impact on my life. If I could just mention two or three of those sermons that has really made an impact on my life, I would have to say years ago I heard a message by Dr. J. Harold Smith, entitled, God's Three Deadlines. If you've never heard that message before, you ought to go online, it's online. Of course, he's in heaven now, been in heaven for years. But he was preaching that message the night that my wife got saved. He was. And can I say that that probably not only, of course, saved her soul, but it also probably saved my marriage and also saved what little ministry that I have. That message changed our lives forever. There was a preacher when I first started out. I hadn't been saved long. And a man by the name of Reuben who worked with my daddy, Reuben Waddell, and I'm not even sure. Reuben may still be alive. I talked to him maybe a year or so ago. But he gave my daddy a, a, a tape. It was, back then they were on cassette tapes. And he gave my daddy cassette tapes and said, take this to your boy. He heard that I just got saved and, and announced the call to preach a little later. And uh, I was mesmerized by listening to that sermon. It was a sermon entitled, Ten Shocking Signs and Christ's Return. It was preached by a man who is in heaven now, but it's preached by a man, many of you have heard of him, his name is Jack Van Impey. And I, rem I memorized, I memorized that sermon. And I used a whole lot of what he said that night in that sermon. I played it over and over and over again. But I memorized that sermon, and I used a lot about what he said in that sermon to lead my sister to the Lord many years ago. Man, I remember that sermon. I probably still have that cassette tape somewhere, and I remember that message. Well, I could probably quote you many, much of that message still to this very night. Uh, other messages that God has used to speak to my heart. I remember one time when I was getting a little bit cold on the Lord, and there are those times in my life. But I remember going to church one night and hearing a preacher preach about Samson. And God used that message that night to turn my life around, probably save my, save my life. And God helped me that night through that message. Well, I've told you all that to tell you this. In our text tonight, we're right in the middle of the greatest sermon 
ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. The greatest sermon that was ever preached and the greatest preacher that was ever lived was, of course, the Lord Jesus. You know, many times, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to forget that Jesus was just not a miracle worker and Jesus was just not a teacher and Jesus was just not the Son of God, although, and God the Son, and He is all of that. But you know, Jesus was a preacher. Can I have an amen? He was a preacher. I don't know his style of preaching. I don't know how he preached, whether he hollered and got animated during his preaching. I, I don't know if he was reserved and maybe just talked more, but he was a preacher. Mark chapter number 2, remember the story. He's in Capernaum, and the Bible said that, uh, uh, that he preached the word unto them, probably in Peter's house. And that, uh, at that moment, they come and they tore up the roof, and they let this old boy that had palsy down. And the Bible said that Jesus preached the word. And, oh, yeah, he was a preacher. But unlike the sermons that I preach, uh, no one that heard Jesus preach this sermon that day ever lived to forget it. It had to be one of the most eye-popping, mouth-dropping, heart-rate-rising sermons ever preached. Jesus in this one sermon covered every aspect of life, from how to be happy, to murder, to lying, to adultery, to stealing, right on up, uh, preached on how to raise a family, right on up to the time and he closed the sermon by telling us how to go to heaven. And he did all of that in a matter of only a few minutes. Now, as we look here in Matthew chapter number 6, I think Jesus covers just about every detail of the Christian life. Let me, let me, let me magnify that for just a moment. Look in Matthew chapter number 6 and look at some of the subjects that Jesus covered just in this one chapter alone. In verse 1 down through verse number 4, if you'll look up on the screens, Jesus gave to us the aim of alms. The aim of alms. And there in verse 1 down through verse number 4, Jesus covered the subject of giving. How to give. How to give. The, the aim of alms. And then beginning in verse number 5 and going down through verse number 7, Jesus spoke about the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. And boy, did he dig in right there in the practice of prayer. And I guess down in verse number 8, going down through verse number 15, uh, Jesus gave us the prototype of prayers. He talked about the Lord's prayer there in, in those verses. So he spoke about the practice of prayer. And then if you look down in verse number 19 and verse number through verse 21, Jesus talked about the taining of treasures. Don't live for the wrong world. Don't lay your treasures up. Don't put your treasures in this world. Lay your treasures up in heaven. You know, treasures down here in this walk of life are subject to be stolen or they're subject to decay and corruption. But Jesus said, don't get involved in living for this world. Lay your treasures up in heaven. The taining of treasures. Look at verse 24. He talked about the danger of being double-minded. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Be careful. Don't get distracted. Don't try to serve uh, the world and serve the Lord at the same time. It just don't work. And then in the beginning of verse 25 and going through the rest of the chapter, Jesus covers the subject of worry or what I would call the wiles of worry. What a, what, a, what a chapter. All of those areas are laid out for us in this chapter. 
But if you'll notice in verse 16, 17, and 18, I skipped over one. And that is what I would call the facts of fasting. So tonight, I want to preach a fast message. Gotcha. My wife, we were coming back, we went somewhere and we were coming back to church here this afternoon earlier and my wife said, man, I can't get, wait to get home before sundown. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you said you're preaching a fast message. I said, honey, a fast message. She said, you devil, you. <laughs> Many of you come to church tonight thinking, man, we're going to get out, and we are, we are, but I'm preaching a fast message. In fact, can I tell you something tonight? Really, preaching on fasting in the Baptist church is about as welcome as a root canal. Am I right? I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you knew tonight that you were coming to church to hear a fast message, a message on fasting, you would have saturated this place with your absence. And I get it. But here's the thing. What many of us fail to realize is that there's a lot of people in our church tonight that are facing some very, very hard times in their life. They're going through some great trials in their life right now. For some... It is a marital relationship that's going bad. There's people sitting in our church tonight and you're on the verge of throwing up your hands and walking out of a marriage of several years. And you don't know what to do. You're just, you're just frustrated by it all. Yours may be a marital situation. There's others who are sitting in this room tonight and you've got a child that's gone wayward. You've got a boy or a girl that maybe you even haven't heard from in years. And you haven't seen them because they've turned their back and they've went away and they're out in the world tonight. They've ripped your chest, your heart out of your chest and they've thrown it down and they've stomped on it. And you're facing that kind of a situation in your life and oh, how that grieves you. I mean, it is tough going through a marital situation. That's hard, but I, I would place right up there with that when one of your children goes wayward. Boy, that is a tough situation. For others, it may be a situation on your job. Maybe some kind of very difficult situation with a, a co-worker or a boss man. And boy, you face that and you dread it because you know in just about 12 hours from now you're going to have to get up and go face that job that you can't hardly stand to even go to. And boy, I'll tell you something, that's really a burden on your heart tonight. Uh, maybe somebody else has some kind of a medical condition. You got something going on in your life medically tonight and man, you just, you're afraid of what the future is holding tonight. Maybe there's somebody in here and it's some kind of an addiction in your life. Maybe you find yourself in bondage to something that you know it's not God's will. I remember years ago I got a, an anonymous letter in the mail from a lady and I still have that letter in my desk. And she was writing, I don't know who it was to this day, but she was writing to ask me to pray for her husband who was addicted to pornography. And uh, evidently, they were prominent people in the church. They may be here tonight. I don't know. I never searched to try to find out who it was. But she said, I've seen my husband get off the computer, get on his knees and beg God for forgiveness, and look at me and tell me I'll never do that again, only to find him an hour or two later right back in front of the computer. You know, sin sometimes wraps such tentacles around us we find ourselves doing things we know we shouldn't do 
And yet we keep running right back to it again and again. We ask God to forgive us. We, uh, we're done with it. We, for, we forsake it. Only in a few days or even a few hours we find ourselves right back in that again. Maybe that's your case tonight. Maybe you fit into one of those situations or maybe you fit into some kind of other situation and it seems like just sitting here tonight, there's no hope for this. There's no way this is going to work out. I mean, at best, I mean, we're done, it's over. I don't, I don't even know what to do about it. I don't even know what to think about it. I don't even know what to say about it anymore. And maybe that's your situation tonight. And if you fit into any of those categories, let me say, this service is all about you. Because fasting is for you. Now, there are three things in this text tonight, beginning in verse number 6, uh, that we find that the Lord is, is talking to us about. In verse 1 down through verse 4, he's talking about giving. In verse number 5 down through verse number 7, he's talking about praying. And then beginning in verse 16, 17, and 18, he's talking about fasting. I want you to understand something. This is not just the, Lord, uh, uh, not just the Lord's recommendations to us. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I recommend you to give or I recommend you to pray or I recommend you to fast. These are the Lord's expectations. God expects us to give. God expects us to pray and God expects us to fast. And since these are not recommendations but expectations, they should become our obligations as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus expects us to fast over things in our lives. Now, if you doubt that, let me tell you something. Fasting is a very important subject in our Bible. You know, around here, you know, we often talk, talk a lot about baptism here. And we make a big deal about that. If you've been here any amount of time, you know that the first thing we try to do after people get saved is we try to get them baptized because we know that's God's will, that's God's plan for their life. You know, there are some churches, I'm not being critical of this, but people get saved and maybe six, eight months, ten months, a year down the road, they'll try to get them baptized. But we don't believe in infant baptism, but we sure do believe in instant baptism because the first step God requires of a believer after they're saved, after they put their faith in Jesus, the very first step that God requires for them to take is the step of believer's baptism. Can I have an Amen. That is very, very important. That's a big deal. And that's the reason we make a big deal about that in, in, in our church. Uh, baptism is not important to you becoming a Christian, but it is important to you being a Christian. You're not saved by being baptized, but let me say this, if you are saved, you ought to be baptized. Can I tell you this? Jesus placed such an important emphasis on baptism that he walked over 60 miles to get baptized. He really did. To meet John at the Jordan River near Adion where he was baptized. And can I just stop and say, Jesus walked 60 miles, made a journey of that far just to begin his public ministry by being baptized. Now watch this. Jesus began his public ministry with the, with the deed of baptism. He was baptized. But then Jesus ended his public ministry with the demand of baptism. In Matthew 28, in verse number 19, we read those words, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then here's what he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's what we did right here in this service this morning. And then again tonight, we're doing what Jesus told us to do. Win them and then wet them. And after you win them, and after you wet them, you work them. Can I have an amen? That's what Jesus said. You know, baptism is mentioned 75 times in our Bible. 
Now, I get it. I'm like you. If God said that one time, that's enough. It's important. It's paramount. Get baptized. But here's the kicker. Baptism Baptism's mentioned uh, 75 times. Fasting is mentioned over 80 times in our Bible. Now, how many times have you ever been to church before and heard a message on fasting? It's a scriptural principle, but we practice it very little. We know a whole lot as Baptists about feasting, but very little about fasting. Now, give me a choice any day of the week. I choose feasting over fasting, don't you? Can I have an amen? Maybe the only one I get tonight, but would you please say amen right there? I, any day of the week, I'd rather feast than fast, but fasting is important. It comes directly from the heart of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think tonight, if we were to take a gammon's pole, you've heard of Gallup polls. If we took a gammon's pole here in this service tonight, and I said, how many of y'all agree that every Christian ought to give? I think we would probably have 100% of all of us who are saved in this room tonight, there'd be a unanimous vote. Yes, we believe 100% would say we ought to give. Can I have an amen? I think tonight if I were to say and take a gammon's poll over how many of us ought to pray tonight, I think uh, the poll would be 100% of us would agree that every believer in this room ought to, ought to pray. But if we took a poll on fasting tonight, how many of us would give us a 100% unanimous poll vote on how many of us fast? And yet Jesus said in our text, I'm telling you, just as you ought to give and just as you ought to pray, you ought to fast. Well, I want to preach tonight. I'm preaching fast at 622, but I want to give you two things, two things we should do when it comes to fasting and one thing we should never do when it comes to fasting. I'm going to link all this together. You say, preacher, what's that got to do with my burdens? Stay with me. First of all, number one, we should, look up on the screen, we should undertake the practice of fasting. Now, I get it. I'm like you. Our culture today is infatuated with food. We have a channel on our TV called the Food Network Channel. Don't look down. We're not praying right now. Some of you watch that channel religiously. There's 24 hours a day of cooking and eating on that channel. We have supermarkets and restaurants on every corner. You know, here's the thing. A lot of us plan our vacations around where we're going to eat at. Can I have an Amen. The reason you're going where you're going this summer on your vacation is because you want to eat at that restaurant. I'm not knocking this, but my son and daughter-in-law just got back from the city of Chicago. It was her birthday, and my son and her went out to Chicago. We watched the babies while they went, and one of the main reasons they went to Chicago was to eat a Chicago deep-dish pizza. They traveled that far to eat pizza. Now, let me say this. Can I stop and say this? It's probably better than Little Caesars. Can I have an amen? But they went there to, to eat pizza. Well, Jesus, in our text, if you'll notice Matthew chapter 6, and look at verse number 16, said this, Moreover, if ye fast. Now, wait a minute. Is that what your Bible just said? No. Look back in chapter number 1. Jesus said this, Therefore take heed, you not your arms for men. Then if you look there in verse 2, Therefore when thou doest thou... So it's not if, it's when we give. Not if we give. Maybe, maybe I need to preach on giving because you're not getting that first part. 
It's not if we give, it's when we give. Then if you'll jump down to verse number uh, 5, he said, and when thou prayest, it's not if we pray, it's when we pray. He expects us to pray. And then he comes to verse 16 and said, by, by the way, moreover, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. And then he went into the subject of fasting. Now the reason I'm bringing this subject up tonight is because of this. There are two things in the Bible that are joined at the hip, and those two things are prayer and fasting. Prayer and they always go together. You see, fasting is the perfect tool to get closer to God, and getting closer to God will help you to get your prayers answered. Let me tell you something about this. Fasting, if you think, is fasting a big deal? Let me tell you something. Jesus is about to start his public ministry. Now, he started that with baptism. We know that. Age of 30, he stepped out in the, on the public arena, in the public eye, and the first thing that Jesus did to begin his public ministry is he got baptized. But now the clock begins to tick. He only has a little over three years to do everything that God sent him here to do. The clock is ticking. How, what's the next step Jesus is going to take to rush into his public ministry? Think of some of the things he could have. Maybe, number one, he could have called this big press conference and invited CNN and NBC and CBS and ABC and Fox Network and, and Newsmax and all that other crowd. He could have invited them in and said, okay, I'll just come introduce myself. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. But he didn't do that. He could have threw a big party and just had a bunch of people over, just had a big meal, and he said, okay, I'm here. I'm Jesus. I've come to do this, this, and this. But he didn't do that. He doesn't have a parade. He doesn't throw a big parade going down Main Street in the city of Jerusalem. The clock is ticking. He's just been baptized. He has only a little over three years to get the job done, to get everything done that he's been sitting here to do. So what does he do? He begins his public ministry with a 40-day fast. That's right. The Bible said that he went into the wilderness and he fasted. He's only got three years. I mean, the clock is ticking. Calvary is just down the road. The clock is ticking toward Calvary. How did he start it all? I'll tell you, he hit the ground running with a 40-day fast. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the next phrase, the next verse said, when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I said all that to say this. Jesus expects us to undertake the practice of fasting. If Jesus did that and Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son and he felt it important to fast. And by the way, can I tell you this? Jesus is going to choose 12 men in Luke chapter 6. He's going to choose 12 men that he's going to pour his life into over those next three years. And uh, he's going to make them his disciples, make them his followers. He's going to make them his examples to the world. But the Bible said before he chose those 12 men that he prayed and he fasted before he chose He's just teaching us the importance of fasting. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is abstaining from food. We should undertake the practice of fasting. Number two, here we go. We should understand the purpose of fasting. Why do you fast? Well, obviously in our text tonight, Jesus kind of lays it out like this. We don't do it for the eye of the public. We don't do it publicly, but we do it privately. 
Watch this now. Look at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. In other words, they wanted people to know. They'd walk around and with a sad look on their face, or maybe, a, uh, maybe they would uh, maybe fix their face a certain way, contort their face a certain way that when you looked at them, you knew something was wrong, and what they wanted you to do was ask them, hey, what's wrong? And then they would probably say, oh, spiritual life. Well, I'm fasting right now. Jesus said we don't do it publicly. Look at verse uh, 17. We do it privately. Look at verse 17. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. That leads me to make this statement about fasting. Fasting is not... I need to fast right here. Fasting is not the gain, the eye of man. We fast to gain the ear of God. You don't fast to call attention to yourself because fasting for forces us to turn our attention upon God. So I would say this about fasting. Fasting for forces us to focus on the Father. The purpose of fasting is always spiritual. It is a reminder to remember how dependent we are upon God. Somebody tell me, what happens to you when you fast? What happens to you physically when you fast? What happens to you? What do you do? You get, you get hungry, don't you? When you fast, you get hungry. So when you get hungry, you go eat. But when you, when you fast, when you fast, you get hungry, but you don't eat. You don't go eat. You go pray. What we're doing is we're focusing our hunger upon God. Fasting is often born out of a burden. We have a burden. We have a need. We, we've got to get God's help. And so what do we do? We pray and we fast. That's the whole purpose of it, the practice of it. And the whole purpose of it is to gain the ear of God. And then number three, look at this. Here's the thing we shouldn't do. We should never undervalue the power of fasting. Now, I want you to look at this text, and I'm bringing this home now, but look at verse number six, uh, verse 16, because in verse 16 and then in verse 18, we have a word that is repeated twice, and the word is the word reward. Look at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, watch this now, they have their what? Their reward. So there's the first time. Then look at verse 18. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, that thy Father in secret which seeth thee in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee shall reward thee openly. So we have one reward in verse 16, the other reward in verse, verse number 18. Now the reward in verse number 16, that is an immediate reward. Jesus said when you and I, whatever we do, and if we do it in the, for the wrong reason, and somebody comes up and pats us on the back, Jesus said, that's your reward. That's all you're going to get for that. If the only reason that I pray is so that you'll say, Brother Tim prayed or whatever, he's a good prayer or he prays a lot, and I'm doing that to, to lead you into that, that uh, determination about me, I've done had my reward. That's it right there. If I give, when I give to the church and I give and, and I'm giving just so... At the end of the day, you'll think, man, Brother Tim is a good giver. Can I tell you something? If that's the purpose for behind what I'm doing, when you said Brother Tim's a good giver, that's my reward. 
But if I'm doing what I'm doing, not to gain your eye, but if I'm doing what I'm doing for his eyes only, if I'm doing what I'm doing with the right motive behind it, then I'm going to get an ultimate reward. Not an immediate reward, but an ultimate reward. And ladies and gentlemen, fasting rewards us. And as I close the message tonight, I want to just give you four things that fasting does, and we're done. Number one, watch this. Fasting fortifies your faith. Fasting strengthens your faith. Fasting forces us to forget food, and it brings our faith into focus and focuses our, our, our faith on our Father. You see, food is not the source of my strength. It's the Father who's the source of my strength. And as I fast and as I pray, it's like a power boost. It's a power boost to my faith. God doesn't want my faith to be flimsy and fickle. That's not God's plan for my faith. God doesn't want me to be blown about with every wind of doctrine that comes along. God doesn't want me to, uh, the least little thing comes along and just knocks me out. God wants me to have a strong faith. And there's nothing, I mean, it's like an, it's like a, it's like an energy drink to your body. You drink those things, and the first thing you know, you start trembling, and, and you, you, you kind of get, get jittery, and, and all that happens. Can I tell you something? That's what fasting is to your faith. That's what fasting is to your spiritual man. It really strengthens your faith. Can I tell you something in reality? And Brother David made mention of this, something like this in the bus meeting yesterday. But can I tell you something? Really, fasting, it may not do anything about the problem you're fasting about, the burden that you're fasting about. But I promise you this, fasting will do something in you. It'll do something to you. You see, it fortifies your faith. Number two, it intensifies your prayer. Because when you and I fast and pray... We're saying to God, I mean business, Lord. I mean business. God, I need you to rebuild my marriage. My marriage is in trouble. And God, I mean business. I need help with this. I don't know what to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and I'm going to pray because I need you. I am desperate. Look, at the, look up on the screens. Fasting is a desperate measure for, te, for desperate times for those who are desperate for God. Are you desperate for God to do something for you tonight? Are you facing a situation that's too big for you? It's done got out of your control. And there's nothing else you can do about it. You've talked to everybody you could talk about, talk to about it. You've, uh, you've sought every source, resource that you could find to help you with that situation. Have you tried fasting and praying about it? Oh, you say, I prayed about it. No, 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 no. Have you fasted and prayed about it? It's one thing to pray about it. It's another thing to be so desperate for God to move in this situation that you say, okay, God, I'm so desperate. Desperate times calls for desperate measures because I'm desperate for you, God. I am going to fast and pray about it. It intensifies your prayers. It ramps up your prayer life on steroids. Because when you fast, when you would normally go to the refrigerator, now you go to the prayer closet. Fasting is like tying a, 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 ring around, a, a string around your finger that reminds you when you get hungry. Spend the time that you would normally spend eating in prayer. You'd be amazed what it does for you. It intensifies 
your prayer, it fortifies your faith. What about this? It clarifies direction. Do you need direction about something? Are you facing some kind of a big thing about the will of God in your life? I'll tell you what, I need for God to give me some direction in life. I really do. In Acts chapter number 13, when the church was wanting to send the gospel out and, and really not knowing what to do, they prayed and fasted about it, and the Holy Ghost said to them, after they prayed and after they fasted, uh, lay your hands on Barnabas and Saul. And, and because that church fasted and prayed, God gave them some direction. And Barnabas and Saul took the gospel and the rest is history. Can I have an amen? They become the launching pad for New Testament missions. But they didn't know what to do, so what did they do? They fasted and they prayed. It clarified their direction. Can I have an amen? You need some direction. You need for God to help you in this big decision you're about to make. Look, you don't want to make a decision without consulting God. Believe me, I've made too many of them to know uh, that I don't want to make any more without consulting God. And it gives you some direction as you pray and fast about it. So it fortifies, it intensifies, it clarifies, and then number four, it purifies your heart. Look at this, and I'm done. Look at this verse right here, Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Watch this now to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens. Wait a minute. Have you got a problem? Have you got a problem with sin in your life? Oh, God said, uh, if you'll fast, it'll loose the bands of that wickedness. Have you got a heavy burden that you're carrying around right now? Oh, God said, you fast, it'll undo the heavy burdens. He goes on to say, hey, are you in bondage to something right now? God said, if you'll pray and fast, it'll let the oppressed go free and, and break Every yoke. Man, I'm telling you something. Have you got problems tonight? Sounds like to me the answer may be for you to pray and fast about it. Pray and fast about it. I have, uh, in, in my lifetime, and I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm not going to be pharisaical about this, but I will tell you, years ago, I had a habit of fasting and praying at least one day a week. I would set aside, I would eat supper one night and I would not eat again until supper, uh, until supper time the next night. So I would fast that whole day. And what I would do is at lunchtime, and I'm a big lunch eater. You can ask Brother Mark. Um, my, one of my first questions when I walk in today is what the, what's the flavor of the day at Culver's? That's one of my, ask him. Brother Mark, shake your head. Is that not what I say about every morning? What's the flavor of the day at Culver's? It's amazing how much food dominates our thoughts. I guarantee you people are sitting right here thinking, where am I going to go eat at when he gets done about this fasting stuff? What am I having for supper tonight? Guarantee food has such a hold over us. And, and, yet, and we can't control that. And yet the Bible said if a man is able to bridle his own body, he'll be able to bridle his tongue. Some of us need to fast over our tongues. You bring your body in subjection, guess what? Whoopee, I can get my tongue under subjection then. Can I have an amen? So I started one day a week, and then I got away from that, and then in the last several weeks, I've got back into that again. And so instead of going to eat lunch, I go to a parking lot somewhere, or you know me, I go to a graveyard. We were riding somewhere today, and I said, you know where we at? My wife said, no. And then she saw the funeral home. She said, I know where I'm at. We know where our funeral homes are. And I'll go to a graveyard down at the old Woodland Cemetery. Nobody ever goes in there anymore and just sit there at lunch break 
and just pray. Get my phone out and go through my call log. It takes me two hours to get through my call log. When I go on a long trip, I just get my call log out and just start praying down through, driving down the road with my phone like you're not supposed to do. Praying over my call log. I'm telling you, it'll change you. It'll change you. may not do anything for what you're praying. I hope it does. But I tell you what, it'll do something to you. It really will. And I just want to encourage you, there are some things that we need to pray and fast about at this church. Look up on the screens. Number one, we need to pray and fast about revival in our church. We got a good church. I believe that with all my heart. But boy, don't we need revival in this place. Good night. Well, that's something to pray and fast about. Number two. You know, I fuss about it. Everywhere I go, I preached about Biden. and Everywhere I go, I tell him old jokes about China looking through them balloons with their dollar generals over here and all that. But can I tell you something? It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to tell jokes about it. It's another thing to fast and pray about it. Oh, we complain about it, but let me ask you, how much fasting and prayer have you done about it? Number three. That may be what it takes to get your lost loved ones saved. Number four. Got family problems? What about your marriage? I'm done with it. Well, before you get done and walk out and pack your bags... And then your husband said, thank God and Greyhound, she's gone. Maybe you ought to pray and fast about it. Number five. Hey, maybe it's time we get serious. Desperate measures call for desperate times, call for desperate measures by people who are desperate for God. And that's what fasting is. Somebody who says, God, I don't know what else to do. I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm fasting. I'm praying about this. I challenge you. I dare you. I dare you. Try it. Let's see what happens. Let's bow our heads for prayer.